Hey, sweet friends, this is Andrea, and I'm your host for Inspire on the Go. I'm excited about the chance to talk about life, ministry, and our relationship with Jesus. I can't wait to see what God has in store. So grab a cup of coffee and join the conversation. Ladies, I hope that today has been good and rich and sweet that it has been both refreshing and refining, because I know we need both. We need the refreshing, which is that inspiring energy, infusing, revitalizing, even comforting, peaceful place that we find with God. But I also know that we need the refining, which can at times be harsh, abrasive, piercing, maybe even painful, as God strips things away that need to shift and change in our lives, whether it's in our minds, our thoughts, our habits, whatever it might be that he is working on. I can tell you this, that often it's been in the refining times that I find a deeper intimacy with God that ultimately leads leads me to this place of being able to live my life like his son. So both are required. My husband and I, when we were getting ready to go overseas with our two children, and we announced to our precious church that we felt like God was calling us to move our family to Africa, I have to tell you that everyone was incredibly excited. We went to training. After the training, we went to this huge appointment service, which was in Little Rock, Arkansas. There were about 6,000-ish people that were there. And I can tell you that the energy in the room was contagious. And the fanfare and the applause was electric. And it was excitement in my heart toward God's mission. Like it almost felt like it was elevated. And then we got on the plane. And we got on a journey with our two preschoolers and what felt like a 936-hour trip after we had just packed 16 footlockers of all the necessities that we thought that we needed to take to Africa, like Velveeta cheese and ranch dressing, because, you know, that's what you need when you go to live in Africa, right? And so we're on this long journey with all of the things that we've taken. And just as we were getting ready to land, I changed my clothes into a dress so that I could fit the attire seemed more appropriate to enter into an African country. And as the plane is landing, my three-year-old son, who had just eaten airplane scrambled eggs, well, what went down didn't stay down. And now it is all over me and all over him. We get off of the plane. And we walk into this building where there is absolutely no personal space and everybody is crowding around and we're trying to figure out what do we do? Do we do immigration? Do we do customs or visas? Like all of these things were brand new to us and the heat and the people, the air conditioning was off. The scrambled eggs on my dress now began to bake even more. We, After an hour, we finally got to the process and there were missionaries who were outside. I couldn't tell if they were excited to meet us or they weren't excited to meet us or maybe it was just the heat. I'm going to blame it on the heat. It was about 125 degrees. They put us in a vehicle. They take us to this guest house, which will be our temporary place where we're going to stay. They take us around showing us all the different things in this 
tin roof room that felt like an oven. That night, after we tucked our kids in bed who were crying from the combination of jet lag and all the goodbyes that we had just said, my husband and I crawled into bed. And I will tell you honestly that all the excitement of everything that God had just called us to and all of our aligning our lives to what we felt like God was wanting us to do with his purpose deflated. And I laid in bed in tears. My husband and I, who were used to a king-size bed, are now in a full-size bed, but because it's about 125 degrees, we didn't want to touch each other, and so my husband is doing his best to console me without touching me, and he just says, Lori, honey, look look at it this way. It can't get worse. That next morning, we woke up, and we heard this, Still in my American mindset, in my worldview, I'm thinking, oh, somebody's got a jackhammer outside nearby, and they're building some kind of, you know, steel skyscraper or something like that. And you can continue to hear it. And finally, there was a knock at the door. One of our friends came and told us, there is an attempted coup in the country, and the sound that you're hearing is machine gun fire at a radio station half a mile away. They have taken over all of the media and convincing the country that they are now in control. We are to pack a bag in case we have to make one bag, in case we have to make an emergency exit to the American embassy. And I wanted so bad to look at my husband and say, this is your fault. Like you said, it couldn't get any worse. But isn't that how it goes? Like we get all excited for something that we feel like God even wants us to do and we do all the preparation. People may even be patting us on the back and things seem to be just going along really smooth until they're not. And we find ourselves at the end of it's not going as smooth as we thought, and we begin to question God. We begin to question, did we do the right thing? We begin to ask the question, is is this it? Is this God's will for my life? And that is a question that all of us likely at some point in our lives have asked. What is God's will for my life? But rarely, if at all, do we ask the question, What is God's will for God? But ladies, that is a question that we have to ask. If we're going to have this God-sized vision for our life, and if we want to know how do we live our life as a follower of Jesus Christ, and how do we align our lives with his purpose, then we have to know what the will of God is for God. It is God's end goal that all peoples worship him, finding salvation through Jesus Christ and ultimate satisfaction in him. God is passionate about his glory and ultimately committed to act for the sake of his name. So when you look at your life, let's just say today, can we make it our prayer? God, what is your will for my life and for your name? today. God, what is your will for my life and your name in my family, in my job, in my school, in my finances, in my education, in my depression, in my problems, in every part of our life? Let us ask this. God, we come before you in prayer and we pray Psalm 31. 
God, lead us and guide us for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. So ladies, let's pick up in Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up with Peter and John who are living their life as followers of Christ who are aligned with him and aligned with his purpose of making his name known and living for his glory. And so we're going to pick up reading in Acts chapter 4. But before we do, I want to point out something Um, And you're going to see it play out as we move forward. There is this repetition. And anytime there's repetition in scripture, we should pay attention. So highlight it, underline it, circle, whatever you want to do. But back up in in chapter 3, it says simply in verse 6 that what they were doing, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Circle, underline, in the name. Over in verse 16, chapter 3 still, Peter's talking to the crowd now. And he says to this, it is in his name, by faith in his name. So a second time and third time, we see it right here. So underline it, underscore it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. And I'm going to point it out as we move along in chapter 4. We're going to see this play out eight times. So but let's pick up in chapter 4 where we left off because they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Peter and John spent the night in jail. What was going through their mind at that time? I wonder if what was going through their mind were the words that Jesus had told his disciples in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, when he said, you will be hated by all. But listen to why. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Peter and John were able to confidently walk with Christ externally because they had were intimate with the spirit of Christ who dwelt with them internally. They had tethered their confidence to the spirit of God who dwelt in them. When you tether your confidence to the power of the spirit that is in you, he opens up our eyes to see in our common, everyday, ordinary op- circumstances, opportunities to display his name and declare his name that ladies, they are beautifully unscheduled, unprogrammed. They're often unexpected. So let's continue on with how do I live my life as a follower of Christ? I've given you four. I want to give you number five. Here's number five. Remember whose name is on the line. So let's pick up reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. It says this, And on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, so just make a note here, these are the same people who tried and then had Jesus Christ crucified. Okay, so those people, and all who were of high priestly family, in verse 7, 
And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? You see the repetition number four, by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's the fifth time, underscore it, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You saw the sixth thing or time there, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Arrested, they were imprisoned, they were questioned by those who persecuted Jesus Christ and put him to death by the most brutal death, but it didn't matter because they had aligned their life with God's purpose for his name, period. They knew that what was happening to them in prison wasn't about them. It was about what God was doing among the 5,000 other people who had just become believers because of the name of God that they put on display and because of the name of Jesus Christ in whom they were proclaiming. It is about the name of Jesus Christ. But can I just like be incredibly blunt with you? What we're, what we're talking about is this this God-sized vision to have for our life. And we know, like we can say that in the end that we know it's not about us, but I fear that in our American cultural Christianity that many times that we may communicate that actually it is, that it's about your platform and it's about your influence and it's about your success and it's about your self-esteem and it's about the size of your ministry or it's about that book that you want to write or it's about the problems that continue to plague you that you're facing or it's about the size of your church that you attend or how close you are to the people in your small group or Sunday school class or it's it's about how fast your heart beat when the drum starts beating during that word your favorite worship song at church or it's about how many stamps that you have in your passport. I know that like in this generation that we are told and we say it quite often to, to be the change in the world that you want to see. Or we hear it said, hear it said that, that your limitation is only your imagination. And I want to tell you this, that those make really great Instagrammable posts and cute t-shirts and hand-lettered pillows to put on your couch, but they are terrible philosophies by which to live your life. Let me remind you that it has been prearranged that God in his love, predetermined to choose you and set you apart to be a part of something that's biblical, something that's purposeful, something that is eternal, something that is for and only for his glory. 
we could look at this story and we could look at a lot of angles. We could look at the lame guy who was healed miraculously. We could look at the crowd who gathered in wonder and amazement. We could look at the disciples who went forward in their obedience. But here's what we would see when you boil it all down. You would see one lame guy. You would see 5,000 new believers from the crowd. You would see two followers of Christ. But ultimately, what all of them had in common was they had the trajectory of their lives changed because of one name, the name of Jesus Christ. When we lived in Africa, I was with a group of women and had been teaching them, how do you, how do you take a story that you're learning in the Bible and how do you take your story that God has done in you and you're able to share the gospel with someone else? Well, I had gone out with these ladies to... Um, this well to get some water. So we had taken all of our empty buckets from the place where we were meeting and we took a break and we went to the, to the well to get water. And while I was in one place talking to a group of women, women, there was one of my friends, her name was Ida, who was over talking to another group of ladies. Pretty soon she comes up to me and she says, Lori, 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 there is a lady over here who wants to follow Jesus Christ. I said, well, Ida, Go and tell her how she can follow Jesus Christ. And she said, oh, no, Lori, you're the missionary. You are the one that is supposed to go and tell her how to follow Jesus Christ. I said, no, Ida, you know how to do this. Be confident in the spirit in you. Go and tell this lady about Jesus Christ. She goes and she tells this lady about Jesus Christ. She comes back and she says, Lori, Lori, Lori. This lady wants to choose to follow Jesus Christ. I said, well, Ida, go and tell her how to, she can choose to follow Jesus Christ. She said, no, Lord, you're the missionary. You're the one that's supposed to go and tell her how to follow Jesus Christ. And again, I simply said, Ida, be confident in the spirit of God that is at work in you and the story of Jesus Christ that you have and you tell her how she can choose to follow Jesus Christ. When it was all over and that lady chose to follow Jesus Christ, we were going back to our meeting place and all of our buckets had been filled with water and Ida simply said this, she said, I went to the well to get water and I didn't fill any of the buckets, but I am leaving with my heart full. Ladies, we are put in situations all the time. And I hear from women all the time the fear of sharing the gospel or wanting to do it, but just not entirely sure how. Let me tell you this, that nobody can refute your story of Jesus Christ who is in you. When you are put in that situation, it isn't about your name. Remember whose name is on the line. Here's number six. Consume the word and be consumed by it. Consume the word and be consumed by it. Let's read in verse 13. Now remember where Peter and John are. They're standing before, they're being tried before this crowd and they're asking them all these questions and it says this in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. 
This is one of my favorite parts of the story right here when it says that they knew that they had been with Jesus. Like, I want to know what gave it away. Was it, was it the clothes that they were wearing? Was it because their faces were familiar? Maybe they had seen them before hanging around Jesus. Was it, was it the same spirit that seemed to overflow out of Jesus that they now saw overflowing out of these guys? Ladies, let me ask you a question. When people are around you, do they recognize that you have been with Jesus? Now, don't get this backwards because sometimes I think that we do. What we attempt to do is we attempt to do everything in our power to walk like Christ externally that we give very little time to building intimacy with Christ internally. But if you have intimacy with Jesus Christ internally because you have spent time in his word, then people will see the reality of you walking like Christ externally. It's when we abide in him that we have the power to walk like him. This book that you hold or the phone that you're using to scroll through the scripture is not just a bound book that's filled with stories that happened 2,000 years ago that are irrelevant. This is the revelation of God. Listen, We cannot continue to align our life with God's purpose if we are not in the word of God. When you are filled with it, it overflows out of you. When you read it, you taste God. When you consume it, you are consumed by God. When you learn from it, you can't help but speak of it. And people will say, because they know that you have been with Jesus. Peter and John are in a situation that is difficult and downright dangerous, but they are not defenseless. The most inarguable, incontestable, undeniable, irrefutable defense that they had and the story that you have is your personal experience with Jesus Christ. No one can argue with it because there is no other name. But I will also tell you this that the most fresh, the most compelling, the most convincing story that you have concerning Jesus Christ is how he is at work in you today. So remember whose name is on the line, but be consumed by the word of God. Let's continue reading in verse 15. It says this, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Underline it. That's the seventh time in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go and finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. Let me say this to those of you who are leaders in the church, whether you're paid staff or your volunteers. Let, let me say this to those of you who are moms with preschoolers or children or teenagers. Let me, let me say this to those of you who lead a Sunday school class or a small group. Let me, let me say this to anyone who has relationships in a circle of influence. Like, did I cover everyone in that, I hope? But let me say this to you, that you can't lead it unless you're living it. And you will not live it unless you are filled with it. And you will not be filled with it unless you are daily consuming the word of God and being consumed by it. So let me give you number seven. Pray with perspective. After they left and they were released and they were charged not to speak in this name anymore, but they're like, we can't help but speak of this name, right? What happens? Well, look in verse 23. Look, look where they go. It says this in verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, they went back to church. They went back to their small group, their Sunday school class, to their core set of believers, and they gave testimony to what God had been doing outside and working through them. And all of them, it says, continued in prayer, and they began to lift up their voices to God. And as they continued in prayer, it says that they raised their voices. And what I think is really cool in verse 25 and 26 and 27 is that they prayed scripture, and they recognized that God had preplanned long ago, verse 28, to do whatever his hand had planned and predestined to take place. And in verse 29, it says this, that they prayed. And now, Lord God, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name, again, underline, of your holy servant, Jesus. They were arrested, imprisoned, accused, questioned, threatened, yet the intensity that they faced led to more intimacy with God. They went back. They had just experienced God doing amazing things, and they began to pray. You know, there are times that I've gone on a short-term mission trip. Maybe you've gone on a short-term mission trip, whether it's overseas or it's a project that you're doing locally. And oftentimes what happens is we take these photos and when we come back, we have all these amazing stories to tell, right, and photos to share, like this picture right here of this woman who um, is playing, she's, she's teaching this little boy how to do thumb wars, and it was adorable, and it was cute. We had a lot of laughs. We taught them stories from the Bible in an area that was the red light district in India, or this photo 
like oftentimes like I see people like they they're overseas and they want to get their picture ta- taken you know with this this orphan kid you know that they're able to hold and love on with the love of Christ absolutely or maybe this photo right here where we're baptizing this Middle Eastern refugee who happens to be happens to be living in Greece, but like look at the water and the sunset, like the experiences that we had were incredible and amazing. But that cannot be the only thing that is told, and that cannot be the only action that happens. When Peter and John came back, what did they do? They told of everything that God had done through them. And because of that, they gathered with other people together and they prayed. And they prayed with perspective, knowing this, that when you look at that photo of that woman who's playing thumb wars with that little Indian boy, That boy is being prepped to be a pimp in a red light district in an area that does not know the name of Jesus Christ. When you look at that adorable picture holding that little orphan kid, we cannot just think of the love that we were able to express to him. We have to pray with perspective knowing that that little boy is going to grow up in a village who generation after generation has had a mixture of animism and Islam belief. And unless the name of Jesus Christ comes and changes the trajectory of that village, he will grow up believing the same. Or the refugee man. Yes, like he came to know Christ. And yes, he was baptized. But there are millions more refugees who are leaving their land who need to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Ladies, whether it's something in your church, whether it's something in your family, whether it's something in your neighborhood, and you are caught up telling the story, whether it's a story of my grandchildren, let me pray with them with perspective that there needs to be a day that they choose to give their life to follow Jesus Christ. And I pray it doesn't stop there, but they grow up learning to align their life with God's purpose of making his name and his glory known in all the earth. Number eight, when they gathered together, they prayed, it says, but look in verse 31. It says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Here's number eight. Here's the last one. Here's the handle to hold on to is that we gather with believers for the purpose of going. We gather together and it should be a place of prayer and encouragement and refreshment and refinement and getting in the word, but it doesn't end there. That should be a launching pad for us to go. I spent um, a couple of days with some women in Nepal and these ladies were new believers and we were searching the scriptures together. And I would simply not tell them what they needed to know. I would ask them a question and then I would give them a verse and they would read those verses and they would try to find the answers. And one of the questions that we would ask is this, is that when you leave this place, 
whose responsibility is that road right out there in front of this building? And they would look in the scriptures and they would try to find a verse that gave that answer. And I'd ask another question. That tea shop that's down that way, whose responsibility is that? Again, they would search the scriptures trying to find the answer. I'd ask another question. When you go back to your town, because they were from different places, and I would name those places. When you go back to this town and this town and this town, whose responsibility is it to proclaim the name of Jesus in that place? And finally, in looking to the scriptures, they came to the conclusion saying, this is our responsibility. That road is our responsibility. Those people at that tea shop, that's our responsibility. The town that we just came from, that's our responsibility. The family in which we live, it is our responsibility. They gathered together. They were in the word together, but it became a launching pad for them to go. Let me say this. I know that there are many of us who are involved with women's ministries at our churches. Maybe not all of us, but a large portion of us. But I will tell you this, that I oftentimes fear that we have taught women in our church to study the word of God and carry it around, but not necessarily know how to carry it out and unleash it into all the world. I fear, and I believe that I've even been guilty I've taught the women more in my church how to decorate a table really well for an event, but not to leave and go and share the gospel with people who would never come to this event. Who's responsible when you leave for your family? Who's responsible for the road that you live on, the neighborhood, your town, your state, your nation? Who is responsible to relocate their home to take the gospel to a place where it hasn't been? Ladies, let us gather together by all means, but let us gather together for the purpose ultimately of going. When I was at a conference and I was sharing this with a group of women, the women's leader came up to me and she said, Lori, okay, help me out here because there is a lady that I'm kind of friends with, like my son and her son know each other really well. They play football together. Her son was recently hurt and in the hospital. And by the way, this woman is Muslim. And I'm not entirely sure, like, how do I, how do I like navigate this? How do I get together with her? And I simply said, you know what? Send her a text and simply say this. I would love to get together to have tea. Would you like to join me? This lady's response, this Muslim response back to this women's, woman's leader immediately was this. I have wanted to get together with you. I would actually like to do this weekly. Ladies, like sometimes we overcomplicate what really isn't difficult. That when we remember whose name is on the line, when we are consumed by the word of God and being consumed by it. When we are not just talking about praying, but we are genuinely, sincerely, passionately praying with perspective for God's name to be in places that it's not. When we align our lives with God's purpose, when we gather together for the purpose of then going, we align our lives with God's purpose, who is passionate about his glory and ultimately ultimately committed to act 
for the sake of his name in all the earth. Ladies, we are wrapping up our conference. And we started these, the main session with laying our someday on the altar. And I told you, I could tell you how this is going to end. That through God's word, simply by the power of his truth that is living and active, that we likely would be stirred or convicted or moved within our soul, pierced by the word of God. But then we're at that place now of what do we do? Naturally, habitually, we normally, and for most of my life have done this where I was stirred by God, but I went back settled into my someday, I will do that. Today, my challenge to you is this. What are you going to do about aligning your life with God's purpose and his name? right now what is your plan for tomorrow in aligning your life don't think a week don't think a month don't think a year just tomorrow how are you going to live your life as a follower of christ aligning your life with his purpose for the sake of his name in all the earth Thanks for listening. I hope today's episode helps you embrace the full free abundant life that God provides. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Inspire on the Go. If you would like more encouragement to help you grow in your faith, visit my website at andrealennonministry.org. Come back next time and enjoy another episode of Inspire on the Go.